Welcome to the Tech Bytes podcast from the Packet Pushers. Today we're talking visibility with sponsor Thousand Eyes. The company is rolling out a host of new improvements to the platform, including VPN visibility, API monitoring, and more. Our guests from Thousand Eyes are Angelique Medina and Archneck7. Welcome back to the show. You've been here a lot. We're happy to have you back. So you've got a lot of news. One of the things we're going to be talking about is multi-service views that you're adding to the platform. What does that mean? Yeah, multi-service views is really interesting because it's kind of an expansion of what we already do in terms of taking different data sets and correlating them all into a single view. And what we've done up until this point is focus on the different layers. So looking at, for example, the application performance, looking at network performance and path visualization and routing and all of that and putting that in kind of a single view. But now what we're talking about is taking different service legs and stitching them together so you can see sort of end-to-end visibility around a particular uh, service. For instance, you know, it's not just a matter of connecting, say, to an application server. DNS is also part of that journey from a customer standpoint. So, you know, maybe looking at that alongside application performance and then maybe even some of these back-end services or, for example, looking at overlay and underlay visibility alongside one another. So that's sort of the notion that you can get this really kind of macro 10,000 foot view. It's really helpful for identifying issues. So not just the application itself, but all of the dependencies around that application, like DNS, for example, and we always know it's DNS. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Except for when it's (laughs) Wi-Fi. Or when it's BGP. (laughs) BGP. Those are sort of the the triumvirate. I think it's valuable here to talk about, obviously, that genesis of the Thousand Eyes business mm-hmm. was we, we monitor the internet, we monitor all the BGP state. And then over the years, the product has grown and matured in multiple directions. And now the BGP monitoring the internet is a key product, but it's also there's probes you can put on site, you can start monitoring DNS, you can monitor the state of SaaS services, you can see if, if Google's up or YouTube's up and this type of stuff. You know, when we you gave us a demo of the visualization interface, it felt to me like this is the natural evolution. Once you've realized that you've got a lot of services, the trick is, how do I break down what's happening so that I get to the fault? How do I get to the innocence? Like in the meantime to innocence, how do I get to the innocence part as quickly as possible? I think that's a really good point. Our evolution has in some ways kind of mirrored the evolution of the adoption and usage of a lot of different services like cloud and internet um, that's come about with SD-WAN. I think it also speaks to kind of the people angle as well, because a lot of what we initially did was to address the different silos within an organization, because you might have the network team, you might have the application team, and oftentimes they didn't really have, they weren't really speaking kind of a common language, and, and there was a lot of finger pointing. And so, you know, putting these different data sets on top of each other so you can kind of quickly you know, look across all of them and identify where the issue was was happening was what we initially focused on. And we really do recognize that a lot of the teams are not internal to the org anymore. They're, they're They're sitting outside of your organization. So you have to work with like your cloud provider, your um, your service provider and maybe their vendors and their service providers. So the teams are kind of everywhere along with the infrastructure and the services. And so you really need to have a much more expansive view of, you know, what the end-to-end performance looks like. So can you give us a, a use case for multi-service use to kind of put some meat around it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. One particular use case that we were seeing a lot is around SD-WAN. So you have your kind of like your overlay visibility, um, and that might be between two um, SD-WAN endpoints. 
A lot of what's sort of obscured when folks start to adopt SD-WAN is, is really that underlay path, which is really important because that could be your service provider, but also other ISPs as well, and even cloud provider networks. <laughs> the internet very often is actually ISPs all the way down. Sometimes you can be six providers deep. Yep. You know. Yeah, so I want to push on that a little bit because one of the value propositions that an SD-WAN vendor will say we give you is visibility that you never got before, but you're saying there's still a missing piece to that picture? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they they will give you, for example, like end-to-end performance availability. So you might be able to know kind of from one SD-WAN endpoint to another, or even from your SD-WAN edge to a SaaS provider, like what is my overall kind of performance? Is the app up or down? But what they don't give you is, is that really that very granular kind of hop by hop information. So you can identify if there is an issue you know, who's responsible, which ISP, is it the service provider or the the application provider, is it within their network, and even down to the interface level, what the problem is and where it is. So that's really, really kind of the key information that we're providing. So I think, um, you know, the decoupling of the underlay and the overlay, that is something that, you know, we've always been doing. And and the cool thing about the visualization and the uh, multi-service views is now you can actually see the underlay and the overlay together in, in one single dashboard or view. And, you know, you can not just look at it to one particular service, but to many different services altogether. So if there is a commonality in the path that is impacting your application, that can kind of, you know, surface up really quickly as well. So again, going to the point of uh, what does this enable is really to be able to expedite that troubleshooting because when you're having all of these you know external dependencies coming together, being able to see them in, in one consolidated view definitely helps not just to Angelique's point, one team, but many teams that are working together to provide that service. So does this mean you're pulling in information data feeds from my SD-WAN product in addition to what you're doing, your own instrumentation? No, we don't pull in SD-WAN feed from other SD-WAN vendors. This is essentially performance data that Thousand Eyes generates. So uh, we can look at you know, the overlay performance. So if it's to a SaaS application, but we can peel down the layers as well and look at that hop to hop underlay data as well, which which we gather. Okay, so if my SD-WAN product keeps switching to a new link because there's problems on link A, I can then go to Thousand Eyes and say, what's going on with this link that I need to maybe do something about or call somebody? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important that, you know, you have kind of like this view that's even independent of a lot of your vendors, including like the SD-WAN vendors, Mm -hmm. because one of the use cases as well is looking at, for example, policy implementation. You know, you may have a policy set and, you know, you want to be able to verify that your SD-WAN solution is behaving as you expect and you're getting the performance that you want based on the policies that you're setting down. So having kind of an independent view um, outside of the vendor is also really helpful just even in terms of validating uh, that vendor. So how does this multi-service view apply to something like a, a SaaS application like Office 365, which everybody's using these days? Office 365 is an interesting one, but there's just so many different kind of pieces to it. So on one hand, you have, you know, as we mentioned, like there's the DNS piece, you know, the kind of resolving a particular domain. Mm -hmm. There's also the authentication piece. In some cases, um, a lot of enterprises might have some kind of hybrid authentication in place with Office 365. So not just using Azure AD, but again, it's kind of a hybrid approach. Yeah, there's a lot of 2FA and identity management solutions. You might be using mm, a Cisco right, right, Duo yeah. or 
you need to test that as well and then correlate whether that's the reason people can't get to you Azure. And these could be on different, like, you know, environments and, you know, domains as well, right? Like if you kind mm -hmm. of um, break it down into what are the first four steps that happen when you go to login.microsoftonline.com? Well, obviously the first is DNS, you've got a result to it. But what we've noticed is there's an immediate redirect to www.office.com and then you are then again redirected to login.microsoftonline where you have to enter your login credentials uh -huh. so those are like different domains that you're hitting right now first off we definitely need to monitor to all of those because that architecture can be different but think about now apart from monitoring you can stitch them all together in one view so you can very quickly identify if it's DNS, if it's, you know, office.com or, you know, the authentication well, or... It's even more complicated in the case of SaaS services because sometimes they're using Anycast. You might be connecting from Australia and then coming into Microsoft's network in a, a local Australian pop and then backhauled over yep. Yep. Microsoft's own internal network. Well, how do you know that that network is operating suboptimally when you don't have any SD-WAN in there because it breaks out locally and... The same thing applies people in Europe go to the local or wherever it might be. So you really want to have not just the DNS because the DNS is going to say, is that working? But you're also going to have to try and track, oh, but Australia's working, but India's not. But South America's up, North America's up, but Europe is down. And you can start yeah. to say, well, okay, well, mm -hmm. maybe this Azure region is having some problems or, you know, in that it all comes back to this reducing the cost of ownership. The challenge that we've always had is we, when networks were smaller and less complex and apps were simpler, you know, Microsoft Word's on my desktop. Is your desktop on, sir? <laughs> you know, is your printer plugged in? You know, that's a, in the case of SaaS, you know, when you go to Azure, that whole piece between the chair and the keyboard and where the app is running is this is just this invisible blob until you apply some sort of visibility tooling to say, this is working, this is working, this isn't working. But even worse, it's not that it's not working. It might be working in one part of the world yep. or in one state, but not in another. And that is that actually is the core of the Thousand Eyes product. You've always been that distributed monitoring. It, just because it's working in one place doesn't mean it's working somewhere else. Yeah, it's not just one invisible blob. It's uh, 50 or 60 invisible blobs that all need to somehow find and talk to each other. Totally. And I, and that's a really good point because there that reminds me of the of an issue that happened, I think this was a few weeks ago when there was a an Azure ID issue. And one of the things that we noticed with that, and that was later included in, in Microsoft's post-incident report, was that the Azure AD service, when users were going through the authentication process, wasn't really working for a lot of users in the US and Australia, but it was actually working fairly well if you were connecting from Europe and right. Asia Pack. Now, again, like the application server was up and running. So if you were just pinging the service, like, are you up or down? Like everything looked fine. It was mm. only once you were going through a transaction where you were trying to authenticate that you could tell if it was broken or not. Now, if you have that information, you know, as an enterprise, then you know, you have options available to you because using SD-WAN or other um, different techniques, you can, for example, maybe change where the internet exit point is for your users in a different geo so that you're connecting them to an Anycast instance that's actually going to enable you to authenticate and get into the application. So another thing we teased at the top of the show was you now have added capabilities for API monitoring, calling it adaptive API. Can you tell me more about that? 
Yeah. Um, so this is, you know, it builds upon Thousandice's um, browser synthetics framework, which is based out of Selenium. So browser synthetics and, and transaction testing, that's not a new concept in the sense that you're essentially simulating a user workflow and interaction with an app. Now, applications, as we know, are, are modernized, modular, and definitely getting more API-centric. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of cases, like application workflows, you know, they trigger multiple backend API interactions. Like if you look at a ride-sharing app, for instance, they could have interaction with a payment gateway. They can have interaction with, you know, a messaging service like Twilio or like email gateway. So there are multiple interactions that happen, but not all of those interactions need explicit front-end browser triggers, right? And, and sometimes a workflow can involve a step that kind of needs additional information, like, you know, maybe you, it needs to know that you've actually been able to successfully complete your payment, only then can it trigger an, an email saying your ride is now complete and your payment's done. So how do you simulate all of those backend interactions um, through uh, browser synthetics? And, and that's what adaptive API does. It allows us, um, allows the user to basically go beyond emulating user interactions via a customer-facing website to execute API calls directly on API services. The reason it's adaptive is because its highly flexible framework allows us to make sure conditionally test based on the result of, you know, this API interaction. So if your API responds saying, yes, your payment has been made, then it triggers yet another interaction with the email gateway saying, now send an email. Mm -hmm. If the payment fails, then, you know, maybe it's a different set of actions that you have to execute on. So essentially being able to test, you know, all those intricacies within uh, the app thoroughly is what adaptive API does. Nothing really, just a bit here, a bit there, kind of touch it. Just joking. It's <laughs> quite something. I mean, that whole thing is just extraordinary to me. The idea that we've come so far with APIs that we're now actually at the point where we just monitor APIs for a status. Yeah, I mean, this goes obviously uh, more than that, right? And mm -hmm. as with, you know, in 2000 eyes, DNA, our goal has always been, yes, there is, you know, external dependencies that occur, API, for instance, but also there is an underlying network, which happens to be the internet these days that's carrying that traffic. So mm -hmm. as we look at, you know, any type of um, application-based testing, we correlate that with the underlying layers. So what this framework, the, the browser synthetics and transaction testing framework allows us to do is not just, you know, create markers at different point in that interaction to see how long is it taking for for, you know, your API endpoint to respond, but then cross-correlates that with the underlying network as well, saying, okay, if it's taking long, is it because of the internet or is it because the API is just taking longer to respond by itself, you know? Well, and I think what's really interesting about this is that it goes way beyond performance monitoring because yeah. now you're actually testing application logic, right? Like you are initiating a series of calls to an API, and then based on the response that you get, you're deciding on what actions you can take. And this enables you to effectively determine whether or not an application is behaving in the way that you expect. If you don't, for example, get a response that you expect, or it's not in sort of an approved list, then that can trigger alerts and other things to happen. Well, we have more to talk about, but we've run out of time. So if folks want to find out more about all the new things in Thousand Eyes and more about what you're up to, where should they go? 
So we actually have an on-demand webinar that shows and displays all of the new features we spoke about. So it's not just Lightware. You can actually see the demo on both multi-service views and as well as uh, adaptive API. And, and you can find the link in the show notes. Fantastic. And as always, you can go to thousandeyes.com slash packet pushers for more information. Angelique and Archana, thank you for joining us. And thank you to Thousand Eyes for being such a longtime sponsor of Packet Pushers. If you like this show, you can find it and many more fine free technical podcasts along with our community blog. That's at packetpushers.net. You can follow us on Twitter at Packet Pushers. Find us on LinkedIn and rate us on Apple Podcasts. Last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.